Dion. Welcome to Home From Home, a podcast where we answer your questions with our experiences and questionable advice. We're just two women, wives, and moms who like girls but love God. This is a safe place for real conversation where we will talk about the real highs and lows of life as disciples with added baggage. Can we help you with that? Welcome to your beautifully messy home from home. In this episode, we discuss what the Bible says about the topic of transgender. We also talk about the difficulties of cultural gender stereotypes. Welcome to your beautifully messy home from home. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the beautifully messy home from home podcast. I am Morgan, uh, along with my co-host, Ellen, and we are so happy that you're here and joining us for another podcast with us. We were just talking about how much we love doing this and uh, are excited to be able to continue our topic around the topic of transgender. Uh, but before we jump into it, Ellen is going to share with us a messy moment. Yes, well, my messy moment, I'm sure is many messy moments of, you know, people and parents all around America, but we in our household have had the crud for about, we're going on like a month where we just had this kind of under my son, especially for four weeks, has had a cough, a low grade fever for like 12 days where I know we've been really worried. We've taken him to the doctor several times or like, don't come back. He's fine. So I don't know. And then my messy moment sitting, standing here right now with you guys is that I have a cough. So if you hear me uh, mute myself or, you know, hack into your earbud that you're listening to me in, uh, I apologize. That's my messy moment. We've had lots of late nights, early mornings, wake ups in the middle of the night, sweating all the other night because of fevers, all that kind of stuff. So we've been dealing with that those many myriad of messy moments. Oh, the joys. But I'm also laughing that um, you said things are dying and people are, I don't remember what you said about North Carolina, but is people that how, are sick. This is the season. Yeah. Is that how you describe it to people like, hey, come visit us. Things are dying. People are sick. <laughs> yeah, I actually live in like the most undesirable place in North Carolina. So I'm not a great uh, salesperson for North Carolina. I think North Carolina is great. It's way too hot for me in the summer. But I normally tell people like, come visit us. We live an hour from the water and in the most undesirable town in the entire world. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, let me sign right up for that. So I would say that's not really my gift. <laughs> that is hilarious. Meanwhile, I live in Southern California, which could not be more beautiful considering it is mid-November and we just got our first rain. It has been 85 degrees oh here and hot, which and then I went, you know, visited the North Pacific, the not Pacific Northwest. I went to North Central United States uh, up to Minnesota and it was beautiful. I, I looked like a tourist. I had my phone out and I was like taking <laughs> pictures of all the leaves. I was like, does it do this oh, yeah. every time? And my brother was like, please put your phone away. Yes, it's called. You're like, what is this? It's the called fall. Yeah, <laughs> my sister-in-law even. Um, she has one of the cricket machines. She even took a fall leaf and put it in between, you know, some like oh. laminate paper, so that my daughter could take it home. It was very sweet. Very very sweet. That is too cute. 
Um, well, I hope that you feel better um, and that Thank you. everybody gets better soon. Nobody likes a sick household. Um, but to jump into our topic for today, uh, if you were able to listen to our previous podcast, uh, we were talking about um, the topic of transgender. We're doing a series right now um, as this is a hot topic in our culture. We want to stay relevant. We want to stay talking about important things um, around sexual identity and all that stuff. So uh, we wanted to have a, a series of podcasts that you could go back to that you could refer people to listen to. Uh, and we started with terms to just orient ourselves uh, to make sure that we knew what we were talking about when we were talking about it as we kind of dive farther <laughs> into it. Uh, so this podcast today is focused on what does the Bible say about this topic? Um, and we are going to look about specifically what it says about transgender identities. So Ellen, um, why don't we jump into it? Can you share with us, does the Bible directly talk about it at all? Um, actually, no. The Bible never mentions transgender identities, right? I think a lot of people want a, a quick, easy book chapter verse that addresses this very culturally nuanced question. And unfortunately, that just doesn't exist. But this is the case with a lot of modern concepts that we deal with. So for example, if I were to ask you which scripture directly addresses anorexia, I don't, I don't know, Morgan, could you give me a book chapter verse? I could not. <laughs> right. But you probably could assert that anorexia is not what God wants for his people. You might point to scriptures like 1 Corinthians 6.19, talks about our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit, or Psalm 139, our, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, or many other scriptures like that to kind of back up your belief that anorexia is not what God wants for his people. But you could not point to a book chapter verse. And so similarly, there is no book, chapter, verse that addresses specifically transgender identities in the Bible, but there are a conglomeration of scriptures that we could use to inform us on this very culturally nuanced topic. I think to me, I see three main principles in the Bible that specifically address the topic of biological sex and how we're supposed to steward it as God's people. First, my understanding is that there is a clear binary in the Bible right from the very beginning in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, uh, where it's talking about the creation of humans. The Bible says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them clearly says male and female. There's the binary. Now, it's true. Um, some people refute this and say, well, wait a minute. The creation account is not an, exist, an exhaustive list of what God created. They might use examples like rivers and marshes or frogs, right? These things are not listed in the creation account, but they do exist today. And so, yes, that's true. Of course, um, Genesis 1 is a foundational picture of what God created, not an exhaustive one. However, I would say to that, we do see uh, rivers and marshes and frogs and other parts of the Bible mentioned. We do not, however, see a reference to a gender outside of male and female. In fact, whenever mankind is referred to in the rest of the Bible, it's in binary categories, right? Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And when the Bible mentions crossing gender boundaries, it speaks only in the negative. So, um, for example, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 uses the term malakoi, which means soft or effeminate to refer to the passive partner in male same-sex sexual encounters. And so many scholars believe that this term encompassed men who behaved like women, so people who blurred gender boundaries. Of course, Deuteronomy 22.5 speaks against cross-dressing. Many scholars believe that that was 
to set God's people apart by not having them blur the boundary lines of gender. So I think that there's a clear binary uh, in the Bible that God expects his people to honor, respect, and uphold. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I see uh, is that within this binary, there is an intentional sameness and difference. The author of Genesis is making this very clear correlation between us being made in the image of God and our biological sex. They're intimately and very intentionally related. Back in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says God created them in his image, male and female. He created them. So somehow these two are linked, being made in the image of God and the gender binary that he calls us to live in. Also, um, twice in Genesis, Eve is referred to as a suitable helper using this Hebrew word, kinegdo, which is made up of two different Hebrew words, ki, which means alike, and neged, which means opposite. And so we see this really clear illustration that Adam and Eve are both the same and different. They're both human, which makes them the same, right? But they're also different because they're man and woman. So that kind of parallels what we see in the sameness and difference that makes up the image of God. God is all Father, Son, and Spirit. They're the same, yes, but they're also different. And so we see that in our maleness and our femaleness too. And something about our sexed difference helps us to make up the full image of God that we were created in. So that's number two. There's a binary and there's an intentional sameness and difference. And then number three, uh, I think finally the Bible is very clear that our bodies are intentional and sacred as is. Um, you know, in Genesis 2, 21 and 22, we often see that word rib used for how Eve was created from Adam. But the Hebrew word that's used is used about 40 other times in the Bible, and it never means rib. <laughs> it usually refers to the side of a sacred building or structure like the temple or the tabernacle. And so Adam and subsequently Eve's bodies were compared to a structure that contains God's presence in the world. And we know from the Bible that altering the tabernacle or the temple was caused for extreme punishment. And so we can maybe make the same correlation that doing the same to our bodies would be equally forbidden and harmful to us and to God. But we also see some evidence in scripture that God took great care in creating our bodies and that though we will undergo some changes when our mortal bodies are resurrected into spiritual bodies in heaven, there's nothing that I see in the Bible that says we won't be sexed beings even in our heavenly resurrected bodies. I think we see that with Jesus, right? When he was resurrected, he was still sexed within the gender binary. He was still a male. And 1 John 3, 2 says when, when we're resurrected, we're going to be like him. So I think it's clear that we are embodied souls not just souls with bodies. There's a purpose to our bodies. It is who we are, right? If someone punches you in the face, Morgan, you're not going to say you punched my face. You're going to say you punched me. Our bodies are sacred. They're part of our personhood. And so I think we see many examples of that in scripture. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul uses the terms your bodies and yourselves interchangeably when he's calling people to righteousness. So I think the Bible clearly portrays that there is a gender binary there's, it's very intentional. It has to do with us being image bearers to God and that our bodies are integral to our beings. We are purposefully sexed within a binary. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I am. That's often my response. I mean, I've heard Ellen talk about this many times, um, but I think for a, a common ear that is maybe interacting and hearing this for the first time, it can be. Uh, not shocking, but like, wow, the Bible does talk a lot about 
this topic without talking about this topic, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I love the Bible for its complexity. The Bible is so simple, but also so complex when you start to put and piece things together. And and I think the the one thing that you pointed out that I think is really important uh, and and really stands out to me is is being able to talk through this uh, binary uh, how how he calls things right. You talked a lot about like male and female, son, daughter. You know, like it's it is when you look at the the scriptures as a whole and you look at the Bible as a whole, uh, they. He God never really does say, well, they or them or refers to something that's not binary. And I think that is really, really interesting to take a step back and look at, okay, well, like, I mean, clearly God did everything very intentionally in the Bible. I wonder why he did that. And I'm sure to direct us and guide us, like he knew this conversation was going to come up. He knew that we were going to have to navigate this. Um but I, yeah, I appreciate you calling that out. And two, that there are, we in our core are image bearers of Christ. Um, and I, and I appreciate that perspective because again, similar to what we talked about last time, whether you agree with this topic and how we're approaching it, or you don't agree with it, we are all created in the image of, of Christ. And it is important that we treat each other as so. Um, so thank you for outlining that, uh, really walking us through what the Bible says in this topic. So let's kind of flip the script a little bit. Um, what does the Bible not say, uh, about the topic of transgender uh, and or gender in general. Well, first I want to say, address something you said, Morgan, because actually there are some people out there who would say, well, actually Jesus does reference a third gender. And so just cause you said it, I want to mention it, that there are some, uh, a lot of pro-gay or pro-queer theology will posit that because Jesus mentions eunuchs in the Bible and even expresses supports for them, uh, support for them, that that is proof that more than two genders exist, that God didn't create a gender binary and that God is pro-trans, right? And so my view of this is that um, I don't get that at all. <laughs> yes, I agree that, you know, Jesus mentions eunuchs in the Bible and he mentions them in a compassionate, loving, supportive light. Absolutely. But let's talk about a, what a eunuch is really quick. A eunuch is a man that does not have testicles, right? So whether he was born that way, made that way, chose to become that way, eunuch does not replace the designation of man. It describes the type of man, right? So based on my understanding, that means that eunuchs exist within the gender binary that God created, male and female. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are definitely some nuanced complexities that come with being a eunuch, especially in such a patriarchal society like that of Jesus's time. I mean, masculinity uh, then and somewhat now is highly regarded and not having testicles would significantly impact a man standing in society, not to mention other factors of status and importance that could be affected, like his uh, ability to procreate, his testosterone levels, which could um, lead to less stereotypical masculine traits like deep voice, hair on the body, uh, aggression, things like that. So I think that tremendous amounts of compassion and understanding needs to be exhibited toward someone who lives outside of the cultural stereotypical gender norm 
I also think we need to be confronting those gender stereotypes in our own heart um, so that people, you know, living outside of that norm don't feel that they're inherently sinful just because they lack a stereotypical masculine or feminine trait. But I don't think that Jesus mentioning eunuchs in the Bible is proof of God supporting crossing gender boundaries, or it means that gender exists on a spectrum or anything like that. So I just want to put that plug in there since you said that. Yeah, thanks for doing that. And again, (laughs) we keep saying this, but this topic in general, we're not going to be able to talk through everything. Uh, However, as you can see, as more of these conversations come up, they just it unfolds uh, how many layers there are to this conversation. And so we encourage you don't don't give up if there's something you heard you don't agree with that you do agree with uh, that you have more questions about. Like we want to walk with you. There is a lot of information about this topic um, out there right now. And that's why we're doing this series is to hopefully be able to give you some um, framework in how to navigate it. Uh, so, uh, Ellen, let's circle back to the the last question that I asked, which is, um, does the Bible not say anything about gender and or um, the topic of transgender? Yeah, well, I think, like we said, the Bible does um, clearly portray that there are two and only two distinct, equally sacred genders. However, there are not two ways of living out our gender, right? The Bible does not have two archetypes in it, one for what a man should be and look like and one for what a woman should be and look like. And I think in our society, that's a real struggle right now because I think Satan has really put a lot of constraints on masculinity and femininity. And we as a human race have really bought into that, right? Men are supposed to be aggressive and unemotional and women are supposed to be kind and gentle and communicative. And perhaps where we have the strictest constraints on masculinity and femininity, at least in the South, is within the church body, right? But those constraints that we've put on men and women, these socially constructed gender roles, are not always biblical. God's expectations on on the boundaries and expression of our masculinity and femininity are much more flexible and loose than our society's ideas. So Though gender does not exist in a bi- or though gender does exist in a binary in the Bible, the expression of our femaleness or maleness does not exist in a binary. Many ways to be feminine, many ways to be masculine. I think we see that with God, with Jesus, with many men and women in the Bible as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have my own personal experience, and I know Ellen, you've mentioned yours when it comes to these rigid gender stereotypes, uh, because I think especially. Uh, you know, even before I was a Christian, but even too, like you're talking about in the Christian body, uh, I think for a long time, even growing up, it was okay, man is supposed to do this, a woman is supposed to do this. Uh, and then when I was in same sex relationships, I was like, wait, so who, who is supposed to do them now since we're in a same sex relationship? Uh, and it did cause a lot of confusion for me because I was like, well, gosh, these were, these were just, Told to me, I saw them, I experienced them um, from a biblical perspective, like from a, a church body and uh, within my own home. Um, those typically looked like, you know, the man works outside the house, the woman works in the house, the woman does the laundry, the dishes, the cooking, the man comes home. Uh, he usually does not want to be bothered. The woman does the caretaking of the children. Uh, and that's, you know, that's typically what I was taught. Uh, and you know, in my own family, we saw some of those, not all of them by any means, but definitely, you know, I think it it was a cultural norm that that was the case. Um, and that is not to say it's not okay for a mom to choose to be at home, to spend more time with her kids. 
Um, I think this is, again, just very large general stereotypes that we uh, have seen and or experienced in our culture. Um, However, let's fast forward to my relationship now and my marriage. Very interesting because I am way more the type A. I love to work. If I could be a CEO of a company, I would love to be a CEO of a company. Uh, It'd be a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I definitely thrive off of success and, you know, want to move up a corporate ladder, if you will. Uh, However, there's a part of me that also loves to be with my kids and I love to spend time with my children and um, I love to cook. Uh, However, we have really we rocked the boat within the the church norms because uh, my I hate doing laundry and my husband does not mind doing laundry. And so in our home, he does it. And we have people come over and I'll be like, oh, well, you know, my husband hasn't done the laundry yet or it's like sitting out or something. And they're like, what? Your husband does the laundry? And I was like, yes, he is capable of putting clothes in the washer and the dryer and folding them. Um, But my husband and I have had a lot of these conversations of how outside of the gender stereotypical norms that is. And the craziest part is that's what works best. That's just one example that works best for our marriage. So why would we not do that? Mm -hmm. Only because it's not acceptable within the gender gender stereotypes of what a man and what a woman should do. Uh, So I, I do think this topic is so important because I think a lot of us, uh, I, I won't speak for other people. I know I try to fit into those gender stereotypes for a very long time, and a lot of them did not work for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I am not quiet. <laughs> I uh, am not the one that is, um, you know, again, with these stereotypes, I'm not just going to submit myself and not say anything. I am not going to just say, hey, I'm not going to work at all because I'm going to be at home all the time. Uh, it, I, rather, I have made choices in my own life to kind of go against some of those stereotypes. So uh, thanks for bringing this up. I, I feel like it resonates very deeply, even with my own experiences. Yeah. I, you know, uh, my husband does the laundry too. I think it's because I hate to bend down, right? Like I hate to bend down and move it over. I just feel like I don't want to bend down. That's why I hate to unload the dishwasher too, but I, that is my job, not his. Anyway. Um, yeah, we break some gender stereotypes too, but I think it's important to note too, that if you do meet a cultural stereotype, that's fine too, right? I've had parents reach out to me and be like, oh no, my daughter loves Barbies and my son loves sports. You know, they're fitting right into the cultural gender stereotype. I'm like, whatever, you know, whether you match a gender stereotype or not, isn't important. I would say what is important is that we want to continually point our own characteristics and that of our children and our friends and everyone in our life back to God, not back to, uh, to masculinity or femininity, right? Our goal in life is to become more like God, not more masculine or feminine. And so we need to be careful not to say like, you know, throw like a, you throw like a girl or, you know, oh, he's just like a boy running around here with a bunch of energy. No, we want to aim higher for our own characteristics or our children and point them to God's nature, 
and say, wow, you have so much energy, just like God does. Wow, you're so creative, just like God. Look what he created, the sun, the stars, the moons, the moon, everything that we, you know, evokes awe and admiration from us. God created. He's so artistic, just like you. Or God is competitive, just like you. He, you know, he's jealous for our attention and our affection and he's competitive, just like you. Right. So we just want to point our characteristics back to God instead of constraining them in rigid gender stereotypes in masculinity and femininity. And that um, just a really quick side note for any parents out there. Um, you know, I, I'm experiencing this as I'm raising a boy and a girl. Um, and more specifically uh, with my son, it is very um, culturally acceptable to say, don't cry. You're a boy. Don't cry or tough it out. You're a boy. You know, little boys don't cry. And trying to teach our son that his emotions are valid, that it is okay to cry. It doesn't mean he's soft. It doesn't mean that he's not going to, uh, that he's going to grow up and, um, you know, be a softie and let people, it's going to, not going to de-mask, um, uh, decrease his masculinity by any way, shape or form because he's, he cries, but rather will make him so much more emotionally in tune. And so, but it's something that we hear um, friends, family members mm. say to him, and I have to tell him, I'm like, it is okay mm. to cry. It is okay to be sad. Your feelings are valid and it's okay. Uh, so even in that, you know, it's, it's the generations that were, you know, what am I saying to my son to let him, you know, that, that are going with the, you know, cultural stereotypical gender norms or against them, just something that I'm yeah. having to kind of confront even in my own life. Yeah. I would tell him, you feel so deeply just like God does. So <laughs> right. Great. Like he really does. He he really does. He's a feeler. I have one too. My five-year-old is a deep feeler. And man, thank goodness. I mean, I just wow, I can bear. I'm a therapist. I deal with emotions every single day. I'm a deep feeler. But some of his emotions, I'm like, dude, I just need to take a break from your emotion right now. But we do. We tell him like, wow, you're so creative. You're so you feel things so deeply, just like God. I never want him to associate that with masculinity or femininity. I want him to associate everything that's part of him as, you know, part of his image bearing status as God's child. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Ellen, again, for leading us through this topic um, of transgender and what the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say. Uh, you know, we hope that if you're listening, that you uh, are able to walk away from this podcast with a little bit of a greater understanding about this topic. Now that we know the terms, now that we know what the Bible says, um, our next podcast is going to jump into how to interact with trans people in our culture. Really, we're setting the the stage of Make sure that we understand, we know where um, what the Bible says and where we stand with it so that now we can go out and we can love other people, interact with them in a godly way. So we hope that you'll come back and join us for our um, next episode on this topic. Thank you for listening to Home From Home. We'd love to hear your questions. Please submit through the link in the description. Home From Home is sponsored by Strength and Weakness Ministries, a Christian organization that helps to bridge the gap between the Christian community and the LGBTQ community through awareness, education, and support. For more info and resources, go to strengthandweakness.org.